Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Joining you on this Canadian Thanksgiving weekend or Thanksgiving Friday, I guess a couple of days out from Turkey Day, is myself, Mark Hamilton, and my co-host, the master of the show, Mr. Mark Daly. My friend, how are you? Oh man, I'm so good. There's going to be turkey this weekend. There's going to be pumpkin pie. There's an extra day off, obviously, on Monday. So yeah. Oh, and to boot, tomorrow is payday. It doesn't get better than this. Hopefully it's going to be sunny because that would be the long weekend hat trick. But yeah, as happy as I can be. Oh, and we got a Formula One race this weekend. I, you know, it's just getting better if there's any you know, good weather on top of that. So I can't not do it, right? We get Turkey <laughs> twice this weekend. We get the race on Sunday. We have the Grand Prix on Sunday. Ooh, and then I we like get what to... you did there. Very clever. Yeah, yeah very yeah. clever. I'm what, probably the 100,000th person to have made that <laughs> joke on the, in the last couple of days. And then, of course, we have Turkey oh, wow. on Monday, Look which is fantastic. Followers just dropping like flies here. <laughs> okay, never mind. I interrupted. Go ahead and carry By on. By the way, I, I have have to add this real quick i am probably the oldest person in this country to have ever discovered pumpkin pie for some reason my entire life it was something that i i just found repulsive mm-hmm. and and a couple of years ago i was going to somebody's place for thanksgiving so i had to pick uh, uh a pie up on the way uh and i a- ended up going to i think it was whole foods or somewhere like that not an ad i promise and i picked up a pumpkin <laughs> pie but i tried some only because i spent like 40 dollars on this whole foods pumpkin pie and i loved it so now it is my favorite part of thanksgiving well that's so awesome so where do you stand on the whole pumpkin spice issue are you for against neutral because i mean it seems like there's pumpkin spice everything nowadays I'm so good question, and I would love to know your answer as well. But I am all in. We have pumpkin spice hand soap, pumpkin spice hand sanitizer, everything around our house right now, and candles. The whole house smells like it. So right now I'm all in. now. Next year it may change, but right now I'm I'm all in. You know I, I'm a fan of the pumpkin spice, not to that extreme level of pumpkin spike fanaticism, but still I, I like my pumpkin spice latte and stuff when I go to like uh, go to the coffee shop. But uh, yeah, not not quite uh, there with the candles and the hand soap. But 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 I, I I do appreciate it. So yeah, no, no. How do we get away from this? Like, is there any easy segue away from the pumpkin spice into Formula? Is One? there ever <laughs> a easy transition into Probably an actual not. meaty, like meaningful, substantial topic such as mental health? Maybe not. But to our American listeners, I apologize if we've made any of you hungry. You've got to wait uh, another five or six weeks for your variation of Thanksgiving, uh, which I like to believe is inferior to our Thanksgiving. <laughs> I, I can't substantiate that. That, but we should probably jump into the first topic. And my friend, I'm going to lead with this one only sure. because it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And I'm happy to see this conversation starting to penetrate the Formula One ecosystem. And honestly, we, we talk in stereotypes, we talk in cliches, but forever professional sports has been 
it's a manly domain and, and people focus on the big issues and physical injuries and depression and other struggles that people might have with mental health were typically shoved under the rug or they're hidden away or they're buried or an athlete who is maybe actively struggling mm-hmm. with some form of mental health would probably never acknowledge it openly, probably not even to a professional who could potentially help them for fear of breaking or shattering this perception of them as a hero and and oh my goodness whatever other cliches you want to might want to throw at it but what we've seen over the course of the last couple of years is a number of major professional athletes across north america and across the globe have started shattering this myth or this perception that mental health isn't a real disease and isn't a real challenge but it's something that we should and can talk about openly because if you seek help and you demonstrate the need and the humility that you're struggling with it, people can help you. And we saw this in the NBA with DeMar DeRozan. Of course, the NBA launched their Mind Health program, which makes resources and people available to athletes, to their players that are struggling with mental health. And it's really, really great to see that even in the world of Formula One, we're starting to see both people on the team side. So we're talking about factory workers and we're talking about potentially mechanics and drivers opening up about struggles with mental health. And this week we had a couple of great quotes from Lando Norris himself, who spoke to the struggles that he had with mental health specifically last season. Well, you know, it's great to see because, uh, you know, I, I think we all know that that old saying about like playing hurt. And I mean, like, even going back to like when I was in high school, I rugby was my sport. And I just think now how many times did we like back in the day when we were playing like any kind of sport and somebody takes a knock to the head? It was just like, you know, if you could stand up, it'd be like, well, how many fingers you see? And you're like, uh, exactly. You know, uh, G. Yeah. OK, good. Yeah. You saw a G number of fingers. Get up. You're good to go. Right. And so we've slowly seen things like, uh, you know, head injuries and whatnot become uh, more important, the focus to the game. You see, like the like in the NFL, I mean, uh, somebody takes a headshot, immediate concussion protocol, and they go get screened to make sure they're okay. And, you know, the, the physical health, obviously, you know, head injuries are important, but mental health is... just as important, if not more so. So I'm glad to see that this is getting more attention. And I'm glad to hear people like Lando opening up. I mean, just um, not even Formula One. Today, we heard Carey Price, uh, goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens, announced that um, that, uh, he's taking leave of absence. The team said it was just a COVID-19 or wasn't a COVID-19 related issue. And nothing further was disclosed. His wife uh, hinted on on social media, perhaps it was some sort of mental health issue. So we'll see what comes of uh, that but you know like you say uh, Lando was opened up about some of the struggles that uh, that he's had and I can't imagine the 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 pressure that these people are under and I mean uh, we we all go through difficult points in our lives and I mean depression sucks I mean it is a horrible horrible thing and there's no such thing as a as a good case of a depression I mean even a, a mild case, if you want to call a mild case of depression, is still not an easy thing uh, to to deal with. And it is, you know, I can't imagine a young person like uh, uh, Lando Norris just facing all that pressure and all the expectations and everything. It's just got to wreak havoc with your, you know, wh- what's going on in between your ears. I completely, completely agree with you. And you just have to imagine that 
mental health issues aside, the, the world of Formula One is just one of crushing, unbearable pressure, especially mm-hmm. for the drivers. And I was thinking about this earlier today. You you look at some of those European professional football leagues where you have, and you probably know better than I do, like you have players sometimes cracking those rosters at 16, 17 years no, ridiculous. of age, yeah, yeah. right? And you think they could go out on the field and they could make a mistake, but the impact to the game could be negligible or non-existent, which hates you turn over the ball, your team recovers that you move on. Maybe it's more dramatic in the sense that you give up a goal because of an unforced error. But in the world of Formula One, as that 18, 19-year-old driver, if you make a mistake, you're talking about possibly ending your life and that of another driver. You're talking about writing off a vehicle that cost hundreds of millions of dollars to develop. You're talking about potentially costing your team tens of millions of dollars in constructors' prize money. And you're also talking about potentially losing your job. And I think, and I'm certainly not the first one to bring this up, but one of the questions that continues to be asked is, we talk about the pressures that these drivers and the teams are under, but we also talk about continuing to expand the schedule. And one of the things that we know is we're going to see a 20, a record 23 race calendar next year. And Sebastian Vettel earlier this week was asked about it. And he specifically said like, look, we mustn't forget, or we mustn't neglect that we are a group of people, of Mm -hmm. human beings, and we're going to be competing on 23 of 52 race weekends or (laughs) 23 of 52 weekends throughout the year. But Ultimately, my point to that is I absolutely sympathize. And to me, I think 23 races is overwhelming as a fan, to be totally honest. That's yeah. that's a lot to commit to. I, I hate traveling for work. Like, I love my job. My employer's awesome. I hate I hate to travel for work and I'll do it because it needs to be done. And fortunately, or not fortunately because of COVID, there hasn't been as much of it. And I'm going to declare this on the air right now that I have a... I don't want to say crippling, but I have a fairly problematic anxiety disorder that I'd really only come to understand over the course of the last five to 10 years. And a lot of that anxiety is driven through travel and things like that, because when you're out of your comfort zone, a lot of these issues related to anxiety disorders and depression, they're compounded. So you think about these drivers that they're away from home. It's a new setting, new people, new track. Like for anyone on the team, all of this can be really, really, really challenging. But that said, It was also the teams that agreed to not only a 23 race calendar that in the Concord agreement, they agreed to a 25 (laughs) week or race calendar, which is, which is crazy. So ultimately I think if we continue to see this type of issue crop up and there's some other storylines kind of breaking online right now that some folks within some of the teams are coming forward to the media and, and declaring on social media, some of the challenges that they're having with, with, uh, mental health that maybe the sport really needs to look at the way that they structure the calendar, or maybe they need to look at expanding and increasing the roster of talent that helps drive these teams forward, especially on the road. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that the first thing that pops into my mind is we've seen with the evolution and the the way that these cars have changed over the years that they've been pushing the physical limits of human endurance to the absolute limits and beyond. I mean, the way that they're going to 23 races and possibly 25 they're pushing now the, the the limits of human, you know, mental tolerance. Yeah, tolerance, yeah. right? 
Yeah, it, it's 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 really really difficult. But I mean, great point uh, you you made there is that the teams not only accepted the twenty three, they they in principle uh, said that they go as far as twenty five. And I mean, you know, what, what Seb was saying that you know th- this could be very costly in terms of um, you know the pressure that it puts on people. But you know th- that's just the latest thing. I mean, there have been little bits and pieces, similar comments that have sort of uh, you know percolated up uh, to to the surface over the past year or so since that that conversation. And this uh, became a topic. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely isn't easy. I mean, we've all been through those extremely hectic and busy times in our own jobs and personal lives and the the, the added uh, mental pressure and stress and everything that it puts on us. But those, those they, they ebb and flow, right? You, you'll, you know, but I mean, I just can't imagine that you're sitting there in an extremely stressful environment and you just know, okay, well, I'm going to be on the road at a Formula One Grand Prix in this extremely high pressure situation for 23 out of 52 weekends that doesn't uh, take into account all the the off-season stuff all the testing all the practice that they do in the off-season I mean how do you decompress like over you know over the winter break or the summer break it's like you you literally just walk away probably take your phone drop it in the garbage or something it's like you know what I'll buy a new phone in three weeks or something or I'll I'll, I'll take this one out of the safe or something that uh, that's that such I buried in concrete out in the backyard you know, that is such a great point, too, that we talked about this earlier this year. The The Formula One mandates a summer shutdown. Yep. They basically mandate that the teams lock the doors on their offices and they lock the doors on the factory. We talk about that being for competitive parity, but ultimately, I think that's more about, hey, we just need to mandate and physically ensure that these teams aren't running their staff into the ground 365 days a year because in the pressure cooker that is Formula One, you may be tempted to do that. And if you don't control your employees, and I mean this in the kindest way, but if you don't control your employees, some of them may just commit to working 365 days without you even realizing. So sometimes you need to lock up these factories and you do it in the summer and you do it in the fall or you do it in the winter over the Christmas break. But the other the other knock-on effect or downstream effect of having a 25-race calendar is you can't compress that into 30 or 40 weeks because of the travel requirements. You <clears throat> spread that now from the beginning of March, potentially into December. And when you factor in winter testing, when's the time off? Is it those two weeks in the back half of December? Because remember, after Yas Marina, after Abu Dhabi, you're straight into testing. So the mechanics don't get home until a week after the race. Where's the where's the downtime for these teams? Like they are full on 365 day a year opera. You know, the thing is with situations like that is that uh, that people seem to tend to, to to go through them and work through them. People tend to embrace them. But that's that, that's I guess that line in the sand seems to be very, very abrupt and very sudden. It's just like you're in it, you're kind of living with it, maybe you're flourishing in it for a while, but then when you hit the wall, I mean, bad analogy when talking about Formula One, but when you reach that breaking point, it is very abrupt and very sudden and and people just uh, implode. And the thing is too, in a situation like that, even though it might be a great company that you're working for, it might be a great team, just that pressure can really lead to like a very negative and toxic environment. I mean, when you've been in high pressure situations, it just, uh, it, it can become unpleasant when it, as people become stressed, as nerves get frayed and, and, and things like that. So 
they are working or sorry, they're, pardon me, they're walking a very, very thin line. But, you know, kudos to guys like Lando for speaking out and admitting to some of these things. I, you know, in 2021, there should be no stigma involved when it comes to talking about mental health or being people in mental health uh, issues that they've had in the past, be it anxiety, be it depression, be it something else. It should not be a black mark on somebody or any sort of indication about them, you know, bad character or anything, anything negative. I mean, it's a real weakness, thing. a weakness, right? precisely. Weakness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, great to see Lando uh, talk about it and, uh, you know, a guy like Seb uh, talk about it as well. So And one one yeah, last point, because I know we've got to move on because we've got so much other great stuff. Totally. Somebody had mentioned something to me today that, that really resonated with mm-hmm. me, which is you and I get on this podcast and we know there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that listen. And yeah. that's not a humble flex, I promise. <laughs> but the point being that we have a voice. And, and I think my point on the mental health piece is yeah. if this is something that you want to talk about, um, just know you can hit me up personally on Twitter Same. or Instagram at any time. 100%. Just like just like Mr. Mark Daly, there are tons of resources available that you may not even know are out there. Yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. So if this is something you want to talk to either one of us about, just, just reach out and I promise we'll make ourselves available. So with totally. that, next topic. The next topic is actually a break because we got a lot of other good things to talk about. So guys, don't go away. We'll be back in just one moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, welcome back. So, well, let's let's go. Let's talk about Williams. We never lead with Williams, and for for good reason because there's never really been very much good news to talk about, and it was just a, a very bit of a, you know dark place to kind of go to but there are some interesting things and uh, and Alex Albon is in the Formula One news again at this weekend and I, I think he's that in the news an awful lot for somebody that hasn't driven a Formula One car during a Grand Prix this I year I know right it, it, it's very very interesting but uh, I, I think that it's it, it's good to to see that he's making uh, news for the right uh, r- right reasons pardon me that was a bit of a mouthful to get out but he says that um, talking about his former team Red Bull he says that uh, there's there, there nothing like the villain misconception and do you think maybe that is a a bit of a truth to that maybe there's something to it but I I think that this is self-inflicted and I think sadly because of all the nastiness that came out after the British Grand Prix and all those comments that uh, Christian Horner made that uh, unfortunately were picked up uh, by a very vocal and a very very small minority that amplified it and said some very very unpleasant things and then I think also part of it is just some of the political stuff that they've gotten into and a lot of the, you know, all that sort of uh, protesting and whatnot. 
And I, I can see why they've been portrayed as a bit of a in that villain vein, but I don't know if that's 100% accurate. But I do, I do agree with what uh, what Alex Albon is saying. My notes are very similar to your thoughts on this one, that some of this is just self-inflicted, that this team is self-acknowledging through Alex Albon that, mm-hmm. hey, we're not the villain that people maybe have portrayed us to be. But some of that, yep. specifically this season, is really some of the the, the verbiage that's come out of the mouth of people like Christian Horner and, and Helmut Marko. And Helmut Marko wasn't helpful following Silverstone when he said, and I quote, Hamilton was negligent or demonstrated negligent to dangerous behavior and that such dangerous and re- reckless behavior should be penalized. Like so, some of that language is very inflammatory. And like you said, it, <laughs> it's, it excites a, a base of the population that has no business following Formula One or having necessarily a voice in, in society. So to your point, some of this is just ultimately mm-hmm. self-inflicted. A little bit of it obviously could be the fact that a lot of the F1 media that we're exposed to here in North America, where we speak predominantly English, is churned out of the UK press and the tabloids. And yep. obviously, a lot of the time that will lean more into British-based teams. Although ironically, of course, Red Bull is a British-based team out of Milton Keynes, as is the German Mercedes team, but the the media obviously tends to favor Mercedes and partly because of their dominance. But to your point, a lot of this is self-inflicted. And the only other point I would add is there's a quote in this article that we're referring to where um, Alex Albon speaks to the fact that, hey, it's not a pack your bags type of culture, but it is a pack your bags type of culture. We we see this team churn through drivers, whether it's Daniel Kvyat twice, whether yeah. it's Gasly with 12 rides at Red Bull, whether it's Albon under fire for a year and a half and then only to be replaced with Sergio Perez. To your point, a lot of this is just self-inflicted. It is, and that, that's a great point to, to add on to it. I mean, part of it, uh, the, the villain uh, persona, I guess, is uh, the, the, the part that I alluded to, the way that they conduct themselves uh, publicly and in the media, and then very much uh, like, like you alluded to, just the, the the fact that they've had a revolving door on that number two car for the past uh, several years. I mean, going back before Danny Ricardo, I mean, with Kvyat, with Albon, with uh, all these different guys, right? I mean, it, it literally was, well, don't let the door hit you on the way out kind of thing, right? And that that's that reputation i think is going to follow them for a very very long time i mean for for one reason or another it will be and i mean there's no way that you can walk away from that uh, that that history i mean uh, albon can say okay well maybe internally that um, you know it's it's a good team to be with and of course he's not trying to burn any bridges so he's going to be maybe a little bit kinder with his comments that's that's my takeaway from 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 what he's saying but still i mean publicly it doesn't look good when you see the the fact that all these guys have been in and out and again very much like lando norris just to, in, in the previous section that we were talking about in um, you know with the, the the pressure that these guys are under i mean young drivers like pierre gasly danny kvyat uh, alex albon did not really get a lot of time with that team before they were rather unceremoniously and ungraciously you know forced out the back door and sent packing and going back to to Taro Rosso but for Alex I'm I'm excited for him I know that uh, that Williams is you know not logically if you look at recent history a place that uh, you would think that would be a good landing spot but 
We have seen, I, I think, some good progression and some good development from this team. What with uh, you know the Drilton Capital Ownership Group in place now that have been there for a year and a bit now, I think we're, we're starting to see some some positive things coming from not only the investment that they're putting into that team, but also I think the corporate structure and also the management and just leadership. I think that's starting to uh, reflect well on the team. So. We've we've seen that. I mean, we, we've seen some slight improvement in what the, the the cars are doing in qualifying, what the cars are doing in races. I mean, they they haven't had like this, you know, this renaissance, this resurgence like a McLaren have had, but they're definitely in a bit of a better spot than where they were a couple of years ago. And I think that, uh, you know, if you're getting out of a, a team that hasn't had a lot of stability, you know, for those drivers, I think there's going to be more patience for Alex Albon at Williams compared to where he came from at Red Bull. That whole system, either at AlphaTauri, Tara Rosso, Red Bull proper, you know, I, I think that uh, Williams will be a much better place. And considering his background and the experience that he's had, I think he'll be a valuable team member. I think he'll bring a lot to the table for that team. I completely agree. And I think you've set the next two stories up perfectly. And mm-hmm. the next story that I think we want to talk to briefly, because I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this, is that specifically Williams is very, very eager to get access to Alex Albon now. So Alex Albon is under contract with the Red Bull Racing Team until January 1st of 2022. But Williams is eager to recruit his services into their factory in Grove immediately because they see some tremendous value. And Red Bull, by all accounts, isn't particularly receptive to this because apparently he is absolutely grinding for the Red Bull team right now. And recently on the F1 Nation podcast, he was quoted as saying that his current schedule looks like this. He gets Monday to rest, works Tuesday to Wednesday on the 2022 RB car in the simulator at the factory at Milton Hmm. Keynes. He spends Thursday, Friday working on the current car and does a lot to help Max and Checo to set up their cars for the weekend. Then usually catches a 3 a.m. flight on Saturday morning to be at the paddock at the Grand Prix for FP3 and then to rinse and repeat. So by all accounts, he's grinding and Red Bull believes he's adding tremendous value. But meanwhile, Williams wants to get him into their factory around their sim car, around their 2022 cars as quickly as possible. And I don't know if you remember this, my friend, and I urge everybody to go and Google this, but it was well known really at the beginning of the 2006 season that Fernando Alonso was going to leave, leave the Renault team and join McLaren. McLaren likewise was very, very eager to get Fernando Alonso into a McLaren prior to 2007 after this 2006 season because they wanted to get him testing the car and get him familiar with the car. So ultimately, Renault wasn't willing to do it because they had all kinds of contractual marketing agreements with sponsors who had Mm. Fernando's face all over their products wearing a Renault uniform. So ultimately, on December 15th of 2006, and I encourage everyone to Google this, Fernando Alonso stepped foot into a McLaren race car wearing a racing suit without logos, a helmet without logos, and a McLaren car without logo. So it was red and silver as the livery was, but without a logo on it. And it was the agreement that the two teams had to get him into a McLaren car for early testing. Now that was a little bit different because he'd actually raced that full campaign for Renault and in fact had won the driver's championship, but certainly something worth Googling. 
Yeah, make it as uh, as neutral and as bland as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the next story, uh, just uh, kind of back to, to to Williams again. So, Yas uh, Capito, the um, the CEO, uh, the team leader at uh, Williams. So, this is interesting. So, uh, th- this article comes uh, from uh, the the race dot com, and uh, the the title of the article is Capito's taste for F one politics makes Williams a wild card. Now, I, I think this is very very interesting, and uh, you know, I, I think that. You know, politics and Formula One kind of go hand in hand. And he, uh, Capito, told the, or said in his interview, he said, quote, I enjoy the Formula One politics, I have to say. I enjoy that. And I enjoy being a bit different, maybe bringing a bit of a different perspective into the sport. And maybe that can help to change the sport to be a bit less political. You know, he loves the politics and says that being political will make it less political political. Okay, sure. Uh, Everybody knows me knows I'm straightforward and I have my heart on my tongue. I'm going straight to the point and I'm not BSing. Everybody knows where he is with me. That's for me the way to be successful, end quote. So what do you take away from that, Mark? So just to back up to a point you made a couple of moments before I reflect on your question, I am all in on Williams right now that if I'm buying stock of any team, it's probably Williams because I see that they have some pretty significant trajectory and runway in front of them, both financially and from a performance perspective. Obviously, next year is going to provide some additional stability. Next year is a bit of a wild card because every single team is going to have a new car. And ultimately, they're going to have the same power unit as Mercedes. So if they do a really good job developing the new car, who knows where they could be in the championship? Because this car is now irrelevant. They get to start from scratch like every other team. But I think one of the things that I really like about Capito, and before I kind of speak to the politics piece, is... He made some comments earlier this year, specifically when he was restructuring this team, that what he found when he got to Williams was the entire organization was operating in these really tight, narrow, negative silos. So you had the factory workers that worked in one silo. You had the office team that was working in one silo. You had the sales team that was working in one silo. You had the team of mechanics that traveled that was in one silo. You had the drivers and their engineers in a silo. And every single time something went wrong, everybody was just pointing fingers. Hmm. It was somebody else's fault. It was this team, was this team. There was zero communication, zero cross-collaboration. And one of our great listeners um, sent me a really great social media story the other day from Nicholas Latifi. And it was Nicholas Latifi sitting down on the plane on the way to Turkey with the rest of the team. And he's get, sit, nestling in his seat. And when I saw this video, I'm like, oh, it's going to be that video where the driver's sitting in first class and he's watching all the mechanics kind of kind of stream through to the back. But he's sitting there in economy with the rest of the team, That's with awesome. the mechanics mm-hmm. and everybody. And I was like, this is really cool. Like what a great culture he's building that he's breaking down these barriers. He's shattering these silos. That's a really cool culture. So all of that aside, I think politically he is very, very adept. Regardless of what he says, this isn't his first time operating a high-profile uh, racing team. Like He did it at Volkswagen for many, many years yep. when he ran their very successful rally team. And I'll just add one final point, too. When he was at Volkswagen, he was a very vocal advocate for that enterprise, for the Volkswagen Auto Group, exploring an entry into F1. Hmm. I will put this out here right now that if Volkswagen, either through the Audi brand or through the Porsche brand, enters Formula One, look to Williams to potentially be that linkage, that that link that brings them to the sport. I think over the course of the last year, we've seen increasing independence from this team in terms of their decision-making around personnel and drivers. And I think ultimately Mercedes was very clear that they wanted Nick DeVries to get a ride with this team 
they weren't interested. They went to Alex Albon because he has Formula One experience. Yep. That's showing a tremendous amount of of independence. But I would argue that this team may be Renault, but could very well end up with a Volkswagen power unit by 2025, which would be fascinating to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that is a you know a very interesting point that you raise, and perhaps that's the thing that that the Williams need to do. I mean, as awesome as it is for, for them to have a Mercedes power unit, perhaps what they need to do is just do something completely different, you know, and and, and engage and 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 build a partnership with somebody like uh, Volkswagen or Porsche or Audi. Or whatever that you know that that entry in Formula One uh, looks like, kind of go their own way and build it to the totally way that they need agree. to do it from 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 the ground up, and uh, that uh, connection with Jos Capito, I mean that is you know that that, that is a, a very tantalizing and very juicy thing to to to, to ponder and think about. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens over the coming years and months ahead, uh, because I, I think that this is going to happen. I, I think that we're going to see the Volkswagen brand in Formula One at some point. It just seems that th- there's too much the, the, this story for it not to materialize at, uh, at at some point, especially when you hear some of the stories that Audi's already built and test benched uh, a Formula One power unit somewhere in some deep, dark underground base where, <laughs> where they've been running this uh this uh, this project so i think it's going to happen it has to yeah yeah yeah. I completely, completely agree. And and from their perspective, too, that you might have a Mercedes power unit, but you're always going to be their second or third or fourth customer team. Mm-hmm. You forge that relationship with the Volkswagen Auto Group from the beginning. Like You could be a borderline works team, very much like McLaren and Mercedes were back yes. in the day. So sky's the limit and exciting to see. And like I said, I'm buying Williams stock. Yeah, totally. Just one other thing before we move on from this. I, thought, I found it very insightful, that uh, story that you talked about, how you had like these sort of different sort of compartmentalized groups within uh, Williams. And I find that fascinating because this team was run for over 40 years by Frank Williams and his family. And this is a team that won a lot of races, won a lot of championships, won a lot of constructors. And it kind of makes you wonder how that team devolved, for lack of a better term, you know, over the years to get to that point, because that does not, to me, seem like the culture that a winning team has, that something goes wrong and there's all these fingers pointing as, oh, it wasn't me, it was those guys over there, it was him, it was her, it was them, you know, whatever it was. That uh, just does not seem to me to be the culture or the mentality of a a multi-championship winning team. Anyways, let's take uh, another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about synthetic fuels, where the sport is heading and why this is exciting, not just for Formula One, but also for, you know, people like us. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark and Mark here. We're talking about all the latest Formula One news. We will eventually talk about the Port- I was gonna say Portuguese Grand Prix. You know why I say that, Mark? <laughs> because uh, I, I recently got my hands on a copy of the 2021 F1 game. I know it's been out there for a little while. I've been playing some of the tracks that uh, that are new to the the, the calendar this year. Uh, I was trying Portimao. I tried. Uh, I, I didn't buy the game last year. Um, you know, full disclosure. I was kind of in this uh, all or nothing. Fee- FIFA mode last year. That was basically all I, all I did was that and kind of playing some of the old, uh, older releases of Call of Duty. Anyways, um, all in on F1 2021. Tried Portimao, been really enjoying Zandvoort. And again, from from a gaming point of view, I know being from behind the you know the wheel of a car might be completely different. And although I found that uh, Portimao has been pretty enjoyable to watch, uh, as, as you know, from from a fan's perspective, and the two races that we've had there over the past two years, and um, Zandvoort's you know, it, it was it was fun to watch from a fan point of view and just an atmosphere point of view, but there wasn't really a, a lot of uh, action that we uh, were really hoping for. But both of those tracks, extremely fun to play on the PlayStation. So there's that at least. Uh, and it was kind of funny too, you know, when we saw, and just kind of going, this ties in uh, nicely to the previous segment that we talked all about Williams. And uh, of course, both Nick and uh, George went off during qualifying. I could see exactly how that happened, uh, being caught out there myself playing there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, this is going to be a little bit of a hum- humble brag now, of course, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, it's I, funny. It's funny. You mentioned F1. <laughs> one of our, one of our great listeners, Andre DM'd me the other day okay. and he said, Hey, rented F1 for the PlayStation five. He's like, it's awesome. Yeah. But the first track he tried was Baku. Oh. Like there couldn't be, there probably couldn't be a worse try. Like if you're trying to get the hand, like a handle on, on cornering and cornering speed and breaking points, mm-hmm. probably couldn't be a more complex technical track than that. But like you says, the game is amazing. Yeah. The only one I was a little bit uh, disappointed that wasn't in there was Jetta, but I suppose that there's just no, right. no, no real data on that yet. So that right, was the one, point. yeah, that was the one uh, sort of really glaring it's, omission, but they're still laying yeah. tarmac. <laughs> Well, we I, I think we shared that picture. At least uh, we were looking at it uh, the other week here on the show. It's just like when they when they turn up, the, the the paint on the curbs will probably still be dry, and they'll have people out there with hair dryers or something trying to make sure <laughs> it's ready so the cars don't come back to the pits with like red and white paint on their tires. Anyways. Um, getting away from uh, Formula One video games now. So Formula One claims that the new synthetic fuel will provide the same power to the engines, but cut uh, emissions by 65%. So this is uh, part of the initiative that Formula One has to become uh, basically carbon neutral. They're going to be a, a net zero uh, producer of carbon emissions. So they are targeting 2030. So this is a, a bit of a medium term goal. Uh, for the introduction of a new uh, type of uh, fuel, which they they claim, and this is a big claim here, that uh, will match the current pl- performance levels and, like I say, slash the uh, emissions by more than fifty percent. And this is the the other. I guess this is the uh, you know the third part to this uh, holy trinity of uh, things that they're trying to put together. It'll be entirely sustainable. So I mean, this is a big thing that they're going to get into. But I mean, the spinoff that I see from this, and of course, a Formula One power unit is very, very different than the uh, you know the engines we have in our own cars. But you would have to think that there is going to be some knockoff technology or development from this development of this uh, new uh, uh, sustainable fuel. That if they can uh, you know keep the same performance, cut emissions, and be entirely 
uh, sustainable, there has to be some crossover to road technology, to road cars. There has to be. I completely agree. And one of the things that Ross Braun has been, and Ross Braun backed that up, former motorsport engineer and Formula One team principal, massive amounts of success with Ferrari and with Braun GP, currently the director of motorsports and technical director for F1 under the Liberty Group. Mm -hmm. He is absolutely adamant that synthetic fuels, not pure EV, that synthetic fuels and hybrid drivetrains are the future of Formula One. And there's a lot of people online that are quick to knock internal combustion engines and that they're 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 dragging F1 down and F1's not going to be able to evolve and it's not going to be able to keep up with road cars. I'm strongly of the mind that a very sophisticated hybrid drivetrain that is fueled entirely by recaptured energy that's fed into a, a power store like a battery plus the combination of an internal combustion engine that has a turbocharger that runs on synthetic fuel can absolutely be a 5 10 15 20 year platform for this sport because it helps to provide that visceral sound and sensation and feel that we've talked about for so long it dramatically dramatically cap or cuts down on the carbon emissions of the car as they are and one of the things that Formula One is declaring or at least arguing is that they're going to use sophisticated carbon capture technology to basically pull carbon out of the atmosphere, stick it in the fuel, and that same carbon that they capture is going to go out again. So they're not going to be creating incremental carbon or pushing incremental carbon into the atmosphere. But one of the considerations or the thoughts here is like, yes, there probably will be a day when the vast majority of the passenger car fleet on the roads in developed countries, developed countries mm -hmm. is based on electronic or electric battery technology, that's for sure, but that's not going to change what you see in your trucking fleets. It's certainly not what we're going to see with airplanes, and it's certainly not what we're going to see with container ships, but those, potentially all of those could migrate to a synthetic fuel. So it's it's kind of an alternative to a natural uh, refined oil-based fuel, and it's better. It's not battery better, but at the same time, and, and I'm always one to argue that in the wrong situation, I'm still of the mind that a battery powered EV isn't necessarily better than a fuel, a petrol powered vehicle, because we're lucky. So we live in British Columbia, all of our, all of our electricity, all of it comes from hydro. Yeah. It's all hydro generated electricity. It is all clean. Minus the construction of the dams, it's all clean. So when somebody in our province buys a Tesla, you know what? It's not emitting any emissions and the energy or the electricity that was produced to create that came from turbines in hydro dams. For a lot of people in Canada, in the US and across Europe, they're plugging their electric cars into a grid that is powered by a coal-fired power plant. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is this is a bridge. I think synthetic fuels are the correct next step. And I think the earlier point that I think you kind of hinted on was this is very much a drop-in. And in theory, with only minor modifications, they could start running today's power unit on a purely synthetic fuel source. They don't need to wait, and they probably will, but they don't have to. But I think they probably need the two or three years of runway to develop the fuel itself. Now, now, all of that said, they are still incrementally shifting towards this. So the current fuel in the cars is 95% refined oil. Next year, that will shift to just, well, just, but it'll shift to 90%. So they're kind of incrementally making that yep. step, 95 to 90. But 
I'm very much a fan of synthetic fuels. Yeah, me too. I think it's uh, I think it's a, it's a logical step in the way that uh, that things are developing. I mean, there, there's no doubt that the amount of VVs that we see on the road in everyday life is going to increase dramatically in the years and months uh, ahead. And like you say, and you you uh, you almost stole it away from me here, but uh, I mean, where we <laughs> live in uh, in BC, yeah, I mean, we we are very lucky that all our energy is clean because, like you say, it comes from hydropower, and we have an abundance of it. I mean, uh, BC Hydro they sell that, uh, you know, the surplus and it really is amazing hello california enjoy your electricity (laughs) exactly right um, but the thing is, uh, too, I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, as good as it is to see, like, the uh, the introduction of um, electric uh, cars to the roads, I mean, w- when you look at the, the the road cars now, I mean, for years and years and years in BC, we had something called air care. You had to take your car, get tested um, if it was over a certain age, and if it wasn't polluting, then you could get your insurance renewed, and if not, then you had to have it, uh, you know, fixed up, and so it wasn't uh, polluting. But a number of years ago, they closed all of those um, testing stations because the modern cars on the road, Great you call. know, were already cleaner than the ones that obviously from the, you know, the 90s, the 80s and and back and back and back. And we've noticed the air quality improve around here. I mean, it's not nearly as smoggy as it was that I remember in the summers when I was a kid. I mean... Of course, uh, you know, the people say, well, what about all the forest fires this year? Well, yeah, that was something completely different. But without the forest fires, you know, it's... Can, a, can I just add yeah, that as somebody ahead. that used to drive a heavily modified Subaru Impreza, I was driving a heavily modified Subaru Impreza WRX STI, air care was a nightmare because mm-hmm. I could never pass air care. And I eventually ended up selling the car just because I couldn't I couldn't keep up with the costs associated with bring it back <laughs> to stock so I could get it through air care. So oh, I God. was definitely that guy that was unnecessarily polluting you know but but i mean the point i'm trying to make with that is the fact that um you know the cars are much cleaner than they used to be but that doesn't mean that we need to stop there and um so the next uh, next logical thing is that because uh, you know um diesel and petrol gas-powered cars aren't going to disappear overnight. There's going to be a transition. And like you say, commercial fleets, boats, aircraft, and everything, they're still going to be burning fossil fuels. So synthetics are obviously another way to accomplish that. So this is going to be very, very interesting to watch. And of course, the the, the other part that runs parallel to this is the fact that they are going to be developing the new power unit, which will probably come online in 25 or 26 so this is all kind of working together. I mean, they're they're laying all the pieces of the puzzle slowly but surely, and I think it'll be very interesting to see where the where the sport is several years from from now, and not just with the fuels, but with the cars, the power units, everything. I think it's uh, just a, a fascinating period of growth and transition for Formula One. But we're go ahead. We got a break. Take a break. No, well, we we can talk about this one. That that's a little bit uh, too early. I mean, we could, uh, but uh, th- this one I, I want to just uh, jump into it now because I think it uh, it really dovetails nicely to what we were talking about. So I'm going to let you, t- you know take this one away. And this is just uh, regarding the 2026 engine plans and the, the whole MGUK MGUH thing and what's staying, what's going, what are they going to do, what's going to be beefed up, what isn't. So I know you're very passionate about this. So I'm just going to sit back 
back and recline the chair while you take this one and run. You can you can see me vibrating with excitement about this topic. And and I've mentioned this before, like the business side, the technical side of F1 interests me far more than I think sometimes what even happens on the track. I think a lot of what happens there is unnecessarily dramatic and theatrical. So for me, this is really <laughs> cool. And we've talked so much about the fact that 2022, we're getting new cars, but yeah. the existing power units are carrying over. So the power units that the teams are rocking at the end of 2022, at the end of 2022 are, are frozen and they're going to be frozen until at least 2025, although maybe 2026. So all of the teams right now, the FIA Formula One are busy working together to come up with the next generation of power unit. And this is normal for F1. We've had this V6 turbo hybrid era. Before that, we had a V8 hybrid or before that we had a V8 era, although they dabbled a little bit with kinetic energy res reserve systems. Before that, we had V10s, we had V12s. We've been all over the place. So it's been a journey. So in either 2025 or 2026, we're going to get a new engine. And as we've discussed before, we know it's going to be probably a 1.6 liter V6 and it's going to be turbocharged. The big change is, and I'm not going to go into the details. And if you're curious, listen to one of our last podcasts, but we know the super complex dual hybrid system is going to be dropped. The MGU-H, which captures energy that's wasted from the turbo process is going to be dumped. But Formula One is simultaneously committing to improve or increase the amount of electrification in this car. So how do you do that if you're taking away half of your turbo hybrid system? So ultimately, they're going to lean much more heavily on the MGUK system. And that's the system that is capturing wasted energy from braking on the rear axle and shoving it into a battery. Now, the challenge is what it sounds like F1 wants to be able to do is pull upwards of 470 horsepower out of the MGUK in the new cars. Now, that for context is a lot because the current dual hybrid systems only generating about 150 to 160 horsepower. So there's a lot of questions about, well, that's an awful lot of strain. And to have a system that requires that much power is going to be awfully heavy and the battery is going to need to be bigger. So these are a lot of things that the sport's currently working through. One of the stories that broke this week, though, is that it could actually be a tactical dual MGUK system in the sense that some of the power that's going to be generated will be available on demand all the time. So when the driver gets on the throttle, they're pulling energy from the internal combustion engine and out of the battery. Some of the power though will only be available on demand, kind of like a DRS system that, hey, drivers at a certain time are able to press a button. Think think nitrous in some of those, mm -hmm. some of those kids' movies where the cars race around with neon underbody lights, but they press the button and there's some power on demand. So these are all kind of speculative things that are being reported, but we're learning more and more and more. But to me, I think it's fascinating that the sport wants to extract that much electrification out of that rear axle. And of course, we don't necessarily know what it's going to look like, but we're getting a clearer sense day by day, week by week of what this 2025 power unit is going to look like. And of course, all of this is being predicated on the fact that a new engine supplier will join the sport. Well, that's the thing. And and that was uh, the one thing that really stood out for me is uh, you know all the reports that you read that Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault, and Honda, or Red Bull, Honda, whatever you want to call them, or Redwood slash Honda, they're all in favor of uh, you know letting go and getting rid of the MGUH to get that uh, per, you know commitment from the you know Audi, Porsche, Volkswagen, whoever it is. Um, providing that they make a long-term commitment to Formula One, and 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 that is the, I guess the the real you know important 
know, point of this uh, conversation is they're willing to do this. They want to see the VW group uh, come in here, but it's just like, guys, we're going to do this. We're going to make it easier for you guys to come in and develop an engine. But if we're going to do this and give this up, uh, you know, that we've spent all this time and money developing and, um, and working on for all these years, we want to make sure that you're not going to be in and out in two years or three years, that this is going to be a 5, 10, 15, whatever it is, a long-term commitment to the sport, which I think is just a win-win for everybody. All right, well, as uh, previously threatened, we are going to finally take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to go back to one topic that uh, we've talked about uh, quite a bit, and that is the sprint qualifying and uh, the proposal from F1 uh, CEO Stefano Domenicali that he wants to see sprint qualifying it up to one-third of the Grand Prix next year. So we'll talk that about that in just a moment, so don't go away. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, welcome back to the program. And yes, it is time to talk about uh, sprint qualifying. As I mentioned just uh, before we went into the break, uh, F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali says that uh, he wants to see sprint qualifying at one third of the races uh, next year. So do the math, 23 races. So we're looking at roughly about eight, nine races a year. And my my initial reaction is, yeah, I, I think that's kind of great. But on the other side, I think it's a little bit uh, too much considering I don't think we've really found the ideal format for sprint qualifying yet. I think it's still evolving. I, I think we've seen some definite potentials about it, but I really liked the idea. And, and obviously, Stefano has not been listening to this show, show, show. So shame on him. Another hard one to get out. Um, because uh, as we've talked about many times over a good number of months, is we like the concept of the major, you know, like uh, we've seen, say, at the Italian Grand Prix or the British Grand Prix, that certain races have this extra uh, bonus where they have the sprint qualifying, with you have the, the qualifying the Friday, the sprint qualifying on Saturday, and uh, the, the race on Sunday. And uh, for, for me to have like up to one third of the races now, next year in the sprint qualifying format i think that's too much uh, i am very much of the, the 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 mind guys do it maybe five times maybe half a dozen next year and that's you know i think i'm being pretty generous with that but let's get the format nailed down and once we've got the format nailed down and everybody likes it and it works then let's talk more about increasing it from four or five six times a year what do you think Oh, I feel exactly the same. And nobody was more on sprint qualifying island than than I was coming <laughs> into this campaign. I was excited about it. I loved the first weekend. And then I completely cooled on it by by Monza. I, I'm almost dreading it for, for Brazil. And it's largely because, to your point, I don't think we've defined what the template needs to be mm -hmm. and to go ahead and throw it onto the calendar for a third of the races. And again, this was just, I think it's almost him floating the idea out there to get it. 
an understanding of the receptiveness from the media and fans. But to me, if you're going to a third of races, you almost need to do all of the races. And at that point, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is you're overly compounding the stress and the the physical and mental burden on these teams that we need to be up for this every single weekend. But to me, like if you're going to do it a third of a race, is like, how do you then determine which race gets it and which doesn't? To me, this was, you know what, package it up, sell it as a major. It's a super special weekend. Pair it with some of your crown jewel events. You can make it really special. Sell that, that the TV rights at a much higher had a much higher cost to your television network partners, et cetera. But a third of the races, eek. and to your point, I don't even know what it's supposed to be yet. Like mm-hmm. what, whatever it is now, it's okay, but it's not great. And I'm still very much of the mind that qualifying still needs to be its own thing. And if you're going to have a sprint session, it can't be sprint qualifying, call it what it is. It is a sprint race, but make it more meaningful and throw more points out there. So I'm still of the mind that you have a qualifying session that sets the grid for the sprint race and the Grand Prix, and you need to make the sprint race richer when it comes to rewarding the drivers with points. Certainly not to the degree that the Grand Prix would have, but they haven't finalize the template it's not set in stone so they're being awfully ambitious and optimistic if they're suggesting that this is going to be on a third of the calendar next year you know my my initial reaction when i saw this one is that uh, i feel like a uh, dominicali is surrounded by a very you know, a bunch of Waylon smither-esque yes men it's a great <laughs> idea sir let's float this one let's get this out in the press asap and is uh, di- you know directly on the line to the media to to get him a uh, get him an interview because yeah i mean totally i mean it, it really lacks an identity of what it should be. I mean, that, like you say, that the templates that it needs to be is it, it's not evolved enough yet. It uh, it still feels like they're they're waiting around there trying to figure out what it's supposed to be. Do it four or five times uh, next year. That I'm perfectly cool with that. But you know, anything more than that at, at this point, especially. It just seems like a overkill. I mean, it, uh, it it devalues something that I don't think has really brought extra value to the sport uh, the, thus far. But this now transitions nicely into another discussion that uh, that we want to have. And five years in, what has Liberty Media achieved? Have they come in and done what they wanted to do? What do you think? Has... I think they've undoubtedly had a good impact on the sport. I think that they've done a good job stewarding Formula One through the turbulent and, uh, you know, very topsy-turvy waters of the pandemic. And uh, I mean, when nobody else was doing something, Formula One was racing in 2020. And, you know, moreover, I mean, we had 17 races and we're, we're basically back to a full schedule this year hopefully <laughs> who's who's to see if we actually get the last seven races off but we're seeing the new cars coming in we're talking about um, you know potentially new uh, engine uh, manufacturers are uh, uh, coming in as well uh, we're talking about sustainable fuels we're talking about uh, you know at least 23 race seasons i mean um, social media is a completely different uh, space we have uh, Companies like Netflix and Amazon talking about uh, buying the streaming rights and all these uh, different things. So it it is very interesting. And I I just can't uh, help but wonder, is this the true reality? Like a lot of these things, I mean, obviously what's happening with the cars on the track and the stuff off the track with the new Concord agreement, the salary cap and all those things, those are all proven facts. Some of the other things like, you know, like uh, Netflix wanting to buy the streaming rights and things like that, that's, you know, speculation and, uh, you know, remains to be seen what happens. But 
at least from my point of view, I think so far, I think that they've done a pretty good job and and pushed Formula One in the direction that it needs to be in the 21st century compared to where it was. And I mean, you know, credit to Bernie Ecclestone. He did what, uh, you know, Formula One, you know, probably needed for the 40 years when he was in charge. But he was probably there for too long and it was never going to grow beyond what it was with if he'd stuck around. And I mean, let's face it, Bernie is probably going to live forever. So who knows? He'll probably come (laughs) back and be CEO again at some point. I fear that that might actually be the case. And I also fear that I think in the past I've probably given Liberty a a little bit too much shine with respect to what they've done with Formula One. Mm -hmm. And I base that really on the fact that a lot of what they've done was really low-hanging fruit. It was really no-brainer moves that all of us knew needed to happen, one of which was we knew social media needed to be embraced and incorporated in the sport. Bernie wasn't doing that at all, so that was a no-brainer, and I think any potential owner probably would have embraced that. Well, I mean, he was was slapping people's hands for, like, uh, taking videos and posting to their social media channels, you know, on the track, the drivers did that. Exactly. So that was a no-brainer, and I think... I think everybody recognized that there was no competitive parity in the sport and they've worked to address that, which is really great. Now, where I think they have done really well, though, is one, they got all of the teams on board with the new Concord Agreement. And mm-hmm. the Concord Agreement is basically the agreement that binds the FIA, Liberty, Formula One, and the teams together. Because remember, this isn't like the NBA or the NHL. These these Formula One teams, they can come and go as they please. If they wanted to join another racing series, they're free to do it. And there have been spells in the past, really as recently as 10, 15 years ago, where teams have threatened to break away and form their own race series. So one of the challenges that Liberty had was, hey, we need to move into a new era with more 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 parity and more competitive balance, but we need to do that in a way that doesn't alienate, say, Ferrari and Mercedes in a way that they break off and create their own rival series. So the fact that they got a new Concord agreement, the fact that they were able to get all of the teams on board with the new regulations, I think that's all good. And I think they all deserve credit for that. Now, I think they've made some financial decisions in the last 12 to 18 months that are really a reaction to the fact that the sport took a financial bath last year normally their their revenue is in the multiple billions last year it was roughly a billion and that's because they lost so much money on on uh, hosting fees and sanctioning fees for races that are being held at numerous circuits that didn't happen or weren't able to have fans in attendance so i think they've made some financial decisions in the last few months and over the last year that were really just the the byproduct of the fact that they need cash to keep the sport moving forward and maybe they wouldn't have made those decisions otherwise and you can probably read into read into what some of those may have have been but ultimately i i think they're on the right path um i i think they're building out a strong calendar i resist the idea of a 25 race calendar i don't think anyone wants that i don't think the sport does i don't think the driver does obviously f1 and the teams are okay with it because that's what they signed up for in the concord agreement Mm -hmm. but overall i think they're doing a really good job but then i think the question really is and you and i've talked about this before what is their long-term goal is it that they wanted to shine this sport up so they could sell it on knowing that really they only paid 300 million dollars for f1 and maybe they could sell it now for eight or nine or ten billion dollars and walk away with five or six million dollars of capital i don't know is it that they want to be in it for the long term i don't know i i'm curious ultimately to see where this goes 
Yeah, me too. I, I think at some point, I think if uh, somebody comes along and offers them, uh, you know, something that's just too good to uh, turn down, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them uh, turn it over. I mean, uh, the, the the thing is, I mean, they've done a pretty good job in the five years that they've been in charge, but, you know, they, they are trying to take it and do something with it. I mean, I guess this kind of goes uh, nicely hand in hand to what we were just talking about with the, the, the sprint qualifying. I mean, I, you know, I applaud them for trying to do something with that, but ultimately whether or not that will be a success, I mean, the jury's still out on it, right? I mean, we've only seen it twice. I mean, we're both kind of lukewarm on it after being initially quite, you know, quite excited about it. And, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, the the one thing that will really tell where this sport is heading is is next year, because I mean, salary cap is creeping down. We got the new cars coming in. So there, there's a lot of things that they put in place to really, uh, you know, increase the parity and uh, really, um, you know, um, level the, 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 the difference between the cars on the track and in, uh, encourage the overtaking. So ultimately, whether or not that uh, leads to, you know, a lot of different types of uh, races that we've seen in the past and uh, where, where anybody literally on a Sunday afternoon has a chance to uh, win a race, who knows? Maybe it will, maybe it won't, maybe it'll be the same, maybe it won't. We, we, we'll just have to wait and see what, how it shakes out. But yeah, they've done a decent job and uh, who knows? Who knows? Okay, so what is up next? Let's take a look. Oh, this uh, this will be fun because this has been a real hot button uh, topic, and uh, this is going back to the the whole pit stop saga. We'll we'll talk about this, and uh, after this one, we'll take another break. But uh, Mercedes team boss Total Wolf and Red Bull uh, team principal Christian Horner have disagreed on what they say is the nature of a human error in a pit stop, and uh, this is obviously the um, you know is in the, the the wake of the technical directives that have uh, recently come into effect that. Have have uh, really uh, slowed things down and is a bit of a safety measure, which we talked at length about about a, a week or so ago on a recent uh, episode. Anyways, uh, Toto had to say, quote, you have to look at the whole process. There is no such thing as a human error. There is this thing in how the process is designed, how the equipment is calibrated. So that is what we need to look at. And we need to give the best possible wheel gun and the best possible process to the mechanics so they can operate in a safe way to avoid longer pit stops. But equally, we need to be fast enough, and that balance has always been tricky for all the teams in Formula One, end quote. Now, Horner, on the other hand, he had to say, quote, I think there's something called a human error, and I think we saw one of those at the last race. I think you always learn, and I think you change your tools as well as you try to make life easier to build in fail-safes, whether that's within software and so on. I think the pit stop is an intrinsic part of a Grand Prix and you need to rely on a stationary time as part of your strategy. So obviously a lot of analysis goes into a failure at a pit stop as it would do with uh, any component on the car. You try to learn from it, you try to put in fail-safes to deal with the situation should it reoccur, end quote. So... There you go. Uh, interesting. It's kind of, uh, I think it's kind of funny because uh, they, they kind of contradict each other uh, or they totally contradict each other because Toto thinks it's more of a hardware or software thing. And uh, Christian certainly saying, oh no, it definitely is a, a human thing. And I, I, I'm i more with uh, with Christian on this one because I think we definitely saw some human errors in the past uh, race or two as people get used to having to work in this uh, new environment that they've been uh, subjected to. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add other than the fact that I, I completely agree. Obviously, some of it's mechanical, some of it's software-based, but I think overwhelmingly, it's more of a, a human 
driven piece because ultimately it's humans that are operating the machinery anyways. And obviously the the new technical directive wasn't in place when we saw the incident in Baku, but when we saw the wheel nut get shredded on Bottas's car, that yes. that itself yep. was human error. It wasn't the pneumatic gun. That was, you know what, the mechanic went at an ever so slight microscopically wrong angle. Although Total Wolf also later blamed Bottas for not necessarily being on his marks, but <laughs> Ultimately, that wasn't a mechanical issue. That was a that was human error. Yep, yep, totally. All right, let's uh, take another break here. When we come back, Toto, still uh, in the news here, says that his team is going to be aggressive over the uh, final half dozen or so races at the end of the year here. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So guys, don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. All right, welcome back to the show. And an hour into it, we're actually going to talk about action onto the track, which, uh, you know, I think is very appropriate considering we are now just hours away from FP1 at the Turkish Grand Prix at uh, at Istanbul this weekend. Uh, going to be a good one. Really looking forward to it. Total Wolf says that Mercedes is going to be very aggressive over the last uh, seven uh, races. And he's also hinted that Lewis might have to take a grid penalty uh, as a result of um, you know, an engine change, which considering Max just took one in Russia and still managed to finish second in that uh, bizarre topsy turvy <laughs> really frantic end to that uh, that race that we saw with the heavy heavy rain over the past or the the last several laps of the Russian Grand Prix really looked like it could make a big big difference to the championship i mean in the end it uh, it did to a certain degree but not as much as uh, you might have expected i mean i was going to save this uh, for for a little bit uh, later on but if you uh, look at the uh, the championship standings and i did have them somewhere a little earlier on uh, where are they? Here they are. So driver standings right now, Max and uh, Lewis separated by only two points. Lewis, 247 points. Max, 244. Sorry, 245. I'm rounding up. I'm not doing half points, guys. You know, I'm, I'm rounding up to the nearest whole number. That's just how I roll. Anyways, so two points uh, between them and Max certainly very, very fortunate, not only to finish in the points in Russia, but on the podium, minimizing the amount of points that he lost to Lewis. And certainly, I think this didn't get as much coverage after that race because everybody, I think, was talking about the, uh, you know, the, the frantic finish that we had and how Lando, you know, lost that race, Lewis winning his 100th Grand Prix. There were so many other bigger things, but at the end of the day, the, uh, the, the driver's championship really... You know, there was a slight gap, but it closed to almost nothing. And now Lewis may be having to take an engine penalty sometime over the next half dozen races. Could be a very, very tricky situation for the seven-time world champion. They got to do it this weekend. There's reports coming out even as we speak within the last few minutes and hours that possibly McLaren, Aston Martin, and Williams could probably all take a new power unit and the accompanying penalty this weekend. If I'm Mercedes strategically, I take the penalty now. There's nothing to suggest that we're better off waiting. There's nothing to suggest that carrying that that anxiety and that anxiousness into another race weekend is going to be particularly helpful. The weather could be... It, the weather could be poor this weekend as well, which could be make could make for an kind of an unpredictable Grand Prix and qualifying session. To me, 
take the penalty, change your power unit at this stage, just get it over with. It's it's that old adage, that old cliche of just tearing off the bandage. To me, you got to get it done now because you don't want to carry that uncertainty into a future Grand Prix. And if you race this weekend on an old beat up power unit and you're a tenth of a second off the pace, but you otherwise look good, the questions will ever be, hey, could we have had a better weekend if we taken the power unit change? To me, just do it. Get it done. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting too, uh, especially the weather could be a uh, topsy-turvy. I mean, uh, you know, like we saw last year, I mean, uh, you know, freshly paved circuit, very greasy, heavy rain. I mean, it was, uh, I, I mean, imagine the Russian Grand Prix from two weeks ago over the length of an entire race. I mean, it was uh, it was good fun to watch. But looking at the weather forecast ahead, they're calling for generally sunny with some high cloud on Friday, high of 22 degrees Celsius, which I think is about 72 Fahrenheit. Wind gusting up to 45 kilometers in the hour or per hour late in the afternoon for FP2. Weather is going to weaken overnight, uh, bringing showers. So the, the, the weather is continuing to deteriorate on Saturday with a bit of rain. Uh, we're looking about uh, 21 degrees, about 70 Fahrenheit on Saturday. 40% chance of rain all three days. And then again on uh, Sunday, they're calling for partly cloudy with a few sunny spells and uh, you know possibly a shower. Uh, we will know over the next uh, 24 to 36 hours how that's obviously looking as the the, the forecast becomes uh, more real time rather than uh, just looking out the you know couple days down the road. Again, it might be a little bit uh, windy, 21 Celsius or about 70 Fahrenheit again. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> If there, you know, if you're going to be dealing with those situations, maybe just, uh, you know, if you're a Mercedes, maybe just to swallow that uh, that engine penalty now and hope for a bit of a chaotic Grand Prix. I mean, Lewis, as we know, is a pretty decent driver in the wet, maybe not as good as Max. I think maybe we give uh, Max the advantage there, but Lewis, I think, uh, could handle his own in the wet and uh, might uh, be a little bit of a damage limitation rather than going to another race with dry conditions and struggling to maybe get back into the points but I mean the thing is uh, if there's a team that ever comes up with a good strategy and has a good car to come from the back of the grid and uh, make it uh, into the higher points paying positions it would be Mercedes but again this is a call that they're going to have to make uh, with the uh, the, the strategists and uh, everybody on the pit wall there so certainly watch this space because usually what happens after we finish recording this podcast is literally within minutes announcements like this call uh, come down so we'll we'll just call it right now Lewis is going to change his end so we're going to try and get ahead of the, the the news cycle for once, and we'll be completely wrong, of course. Okay, well, let's talk a, a little bit uh, about the, the the race itself. So there have been eight races at uh, in Turkey. First held in two thousand and five. Felipe Massa won there three times, uh, and uh, Ferrari is the most winningest uh, constructor. Of course, we had uh, a good number of years between uh, Turkish Grand Prix until uh, they came back onto the calendar last year, filling in wonderfully well in the, the COVID altered season of 2020 Lance Stroll was on pole last year podium was Lewis Hamilton Sergio Perez and Sebastian Vettel somewhat uh, opportunistically nicking third place away from uh, his uh, teammate Charles Leclerc who was skating all over the place late in the race when there was a, a late uh, a late shower fastest lap was set by uh, Lando Norris it was a 136.8 and Pardon me, the circuit length is 5.34 kilometers or 3.32 miles. Total's race length is 309.4 kilometers or 192.25 miles. 
58 laps. Uh, Pirelli is bringing their mid-range tires, and uh, they are bringing the uh, the hard C2s, medium C3s, and the soft C4s. And this is going to be interesting, um, as I think we saw last week, or sorry, two weeks ago in Russia, Charles uh, took an engine penalty with the upgraded Ferrari power unit. I think it's been confirmed that his teammate, uh, Charles, sorry, <laughs> Charles and his teammate, Charles Leclerc, yeah, good one there, Mark. His teammate, Carla Sainz, is going to be taking the uh, the engine penalty this weekend to get the upgraded um, Ferrari power, power unit, like you mentioned. So there's going to be a lot uh, going on. One thing I'm looking forward to, not just uh, from the race itself and all the, uh, you know, the implications for the champ. Championship and the battle going on between Lewis and uh, Max Verstappen is the special edition livery that uh, that the Red Bull Honda is going to be rocking all weekend long. A throwback to Honda when they had their own uh, Formula One team. Red and white looks absolutely spectacular. I love it when teams rock the retro colors like we saw earlier this year with uh, McLaren at uh, at Monaco. Love the throwback. So this is like, the, the car looks looks really, really awesome. Uh, I mean, you know, ultimately, if uh, they have a disaster race, uh, it's going to be a bit of a, a footnote to, to history, but certainly it looks really, really good. And another guy that's hoping for a bit of a, you know, a wet race is uh, Charles Leclerc, who thinks that if uh, that the track is a slippery, but apparently they've done some work on the circuit in recent weeks to maybe try and make it a little bit more abrasive to uh, avoid the, uh, you know, the, the slip and slide uh, situation that we saw last year. But uh, Charles definitely very much in f- favor of the, uh, the, the wet and slippery conditions because you think it might obviously have an equalizing effect and benefit to the Scuderia. I just got to add that I'm incredibly excited for somebody that doesn't love the Red Bull livery. And maybe it's because it's been so static. And I'm now conditioned to the world of professional football where teams change their jerseys every single year. And we've seen that now trickle into the NHL and into the NBA as well. But in Formula One, to see a team stick with a livery so long should be something that's celebrated, but I'm ready for a change. So for them to to make the effort, and obviously this was something that they were planning, that they were hoping to do in Japan, but that race was canceled, obviously, for all the reasons that we know. But to see them make this effort and show this symbolic gesture to Honda as they exit Formula One for the 87th hundredth time um, is amazing. And if you haven't seen any of the Honda works team cars, take a look, look up Honda 2008 Formula One, you'll get a, a good look at it. But it's also not the first time that Red Bull has, and I didn't even remember this. I'm not even going to BS you. I didn't even remember this. But in 2008 at Interlagos, David Coulthard, as he was winding down his career, ran a white liveried Red Bull. Totally 2008, don't remember that. <laughs> the RB4 in white. And what was really unique about it is that it was only one of the cars that ran this livery. So it was the last time in a Formula One Grand Prix that two drivers on the same team rocked completely different liveries. But I encourage you to go to look it up. For some reason, it makes me think of white chocolate. But for whatever <laughs> reason, like I'm literally like the candy. Um, for whatever reason, and it looks spectacular because 2008 was also the era where they were still driving around on the horrendous groove tires because <laughs> the, the FIA was trying to, yeah, me too. FIA was trying to slow the cars down. So their idea was let's 
put grooves in the tires to reduce the contact patch so that they have less grip in corners so they have to go slower and then the teams just went bonkers <laughs> on the arrow to compensate and the car looks freaking phenomenal so yeah. go look that up 2008 rb4 interlagos david colthard but yeah i'm incredibly excited about this livery and the track as well and i'll just back this up that for those of you that don't know turkey was added to the calendar in 2005 it was a really rich agreement between bernie um, and principally the turkish government they built a brand new motorsports park specifically for this event by 2008 bernie had started to demand a sanctioning fee double what his earlier commitment had been ultimately there was an ugly divorce formula one went away and then it returned last year principally because they needed somewhere to race last year they had planned to have a full capacity crowd which obviously didn't happen so one of the reasons i'm excited to see it this year is because i want to see what the atmosphere what the environment looks like for a fan base that really has been without formula one for a decade now I know it's crazy. Uh, you know, we, we've had this uh, discussion a couple times. You know, I really like the track. I especially like that turn eight uh, with that uh, triple apex corner, which is kind of interesting because the way that, uh, you know, when you see the cars, how they go so fast through it is that um, it actually has the appearance of a curved corner. But when you really kind of look at it closely, it's actually a short set of interlinked, very short straightaways, but it is just a really spectacular how the cars go through there and hit all three of those apexes. It's uh, really, really cool. Is is this track in the F1 video game? Yes, I believe it is. Uh, I've sort of gotten hung up, uh, you know, for, you know, ancestral reasons, uh, racing on the on the Dutch uh, Grand Prix and some of my other favorites as well. But uh, I'm, I'm almost 100% uh, positive it is. Uh, I keep uh, going back to uh, some of these other ones afterwards. But uh, yeah, no, it, it should be a really, really uh, good one. Uh, who do you think that this, uh, this track might favor a little bit more? I mean, of course, when it comes to uh, rainy conditions, it's uh, going to be a bit of a toss up. Like I say, I mean, if it's an out-and-out -out wet race, I think that uh, you give uh, the edge uh, to, to Max, who has proven throughout the years that uh, he manages to find grip on a wet circuit in places that uh, he doesn't have any business finding it. Uh, but under normal circumstances, is this going to be more a Mercedes or a Red Bull track? What do you think, Mark? It's a good question, and obviously Hamilton came out on top last year, although I would attribute that to really some bad luck on on Lance Stroll's part, I think mm. Lance was obviously exceptional in qualifying last year. Obviously, it was a very wet qualifying yep. session, but I think Racing Point had absolutely set up both of their cars spectacularly. Oh, they we nailed obviously it. Saw yeah. Sergio score a podium despite the rain. Um, Lance didn't uh, obviously score uh, a podium because of some really bad luck, but I think he was in a position where he could have won the Grand Prix. Lewis ultimately benefited and took the win. It was Lewis's second win here. He won in 2010 as well. This will be, I think, his sixth or seventh visit to this track. So despite the fact that Formula One was away for nine or 10 years, he knows it pretty intimately. He's familiar with this track. My thought really is that if Mercedes can come into this race weekend with a fresh power unit in the back of Lewis's car, I think that may Maybe would help them help them attack that power deficit they have relative to the Red Bulls at, at this point. And there were some stories that broke over the last couple of weeks about the fact that Honda had done some really quiet, discreet power unit upgrades since the break that is delivering a little bit of incremental power. But my sense is that if they can get a fresh power unit into Lewis's car, it puts them in a good position, especially if we might see three or four other teams taking similar penalties that you might not necessarily be all the way at the back. It might not be a situation like it was for, for Max Verstappen last race weekend. 
Ultimately though, I think all things being equal, I would probably still give the edge to the Red Bull, at least to Max Verstappen. Um, I'm not as confident in Sergio Perez just because of what I've seen out of him over the really the entirety of this calendar. But I think we will probably come out of this race weekend with Max leading the driver's championship. What about you? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's very interesting that uh, you just uh, touched on uh, Sergio, but uh, you know there was one uh, piece of news that I found uh, that this week that I found was uh, quite interesting because Sergio is being very optimistic and he says he has no doubts that he will turn things around and improve his form at, uh, at, at Red Bull. I mean, of course, it takes time to settle into a new team, but I think we're really beyond that uh, with Sergio. And I, I know that he's had the occasional good outing for them this year, but that really has been the exception rather than the rule. And I think that um, they they find themselves, I think, in a bit of an odd situation. We know that Sergio's confirmed he's coming back for 22. You know, th- th- this is all a done deal. But I think they kind of found themselves in a, a almost handcuffed to a certain degree with uh, with with Checo because as, as you know, this kind of goes back to the top of the show when we were talking about Alex Albon and that revolving door that they had with that second Red Bull car is that, uh, you know, if they decided to part ways with Sergio Perez, number one, who would you uh, replace him with? And number two, if you're getting rid of a seasoned Formula One journeyman like Checo Perez, you know, if a guy like that's not going to stick with your team, who is? <laughs> you know, do you have to have two world champion caliber drivers in your in, in your garage to drive your cars? Because, you know, you weren't doing it with the young guys and you weren't doing it with the guy that's been in the sport for 10 years. So who, who's it going to be? You know, they got to be like you know, A-listers in both cars, you know, like, uh, what's the deal? But still, I I like the positivity, but I think that he's got a, you know, he's got a a ways to go. And uh, certainly this is a a car that we've discussed, uh, you know, at length, uh, you know, many times over the course of the season and just, uh, you know, the characteristics and how it handles. And uh, yeah, certainly I think uh, Sergio has his work uh, cut out for him there. Anyways, a couple, uh, just uh, one other, th- two other things I wanted to address quickly before we uh, get going. And this is one that, uh, you know, we're, we're probably a little bit, uh, you know, negligent and not bringing up uh, before because it would have gone nicely in our discussion about power units earlier. But uh, Red Bull and Honda have outla- outlined their working agreement uh, moving forward beyond uh, this year. So in uh, 2022, the Honda is still going to closely support uh, the, the two Red Bull teams, so Red Bull and uh, Alpha Tower. 2023 we'll see a transition to full control of the power unit uh, supply by uh, the new uh, Red Bull powertrains uh, development so it's interesting some of the Honda racing development uh, uh, employees in the UK will transfer to Red Bull powertrains to help uh, with the continuity and the consistency there and uh, interesting as well uh, the two teams uh, or the two companies are going to work on projects also uh, outside of uh, Formula One so that is uh, kind of uh, fascinating and uh, a bit tantalizing to wonder what are they doing? Are they going to get Adrian Newey involved in some other super slash hypercar project, which would be kind of fun, but also kind of uh, not fun, knowing I'll never be able to even look, let alone or look at, let alone afford one, but uh, kind of neat to hear. And then finally, last but not least, the one, you know, in, in th- this is such a 2021 story. And uh, the, the one thing that kind of like stood out and the one thing I didn't expect uh, to hear, but apparently the the medical car crew for the Grand Prix this weekend is going to be replaced because they've both contracted COVID. So they are in uh, isolation and all that stuff. So, you know, it's such a 2021 story. I just, um, you know, I don't want to laugh uh, because, you know, there, there's obviously, you know, 
people sick involved with this, but still it's just like, you know, th- th- this is such a contemporary 2021 story. I just, uh, I, I couldn't help, but, uh, raise an eyebrow or two when I, when I saw that one. Anyways, that's, that's pretty much all I got, sir. Yeah, me too. I think we are good to wrap this one up again. Very excited that we have a long weekend coming up. We've got Monday off. We've got Thanksgiving that we can enjoy. So for all of you in Canada, please have a fantastic weekend with your family. Like we said earlier on the show, when it came to that mental health topic, don't hesitate to reach out. Hopefully you feel that we're accessible. Um, we're happy to conversate and chat with anybody. So don't hesitate to reach Definitely. out. And other than that, I look forward to free practice in a couple of hours. It's great to be back into a Grand Prix. And for all of our listeners in the U.S. that are going to be heading to Austin, that's just two weeks away. We're two weeks away from CODA, which is incredibly exciting. They announced just a couple of days ago it is officially a sellout. So we should Sweet. see a packed crowd at Austin, awesome. which is uh, fantastic for the sport. And uh, might I add, just before we uh, sign off here, that I must admit uh, for you know people in the, the States and Canada, those that kind of have like a crossover between the two countries that get to celebrate Thanksgiving in uh, you know October and also American Thanksgiving at the end of uh, November, I'm kind of uh, jealous uh, because that's twice the amount of turkey. And also on a completely different uh, and unrelated note, I noticed snow on the mountains. That means ski season is just uh, around the corner. But hey, that's just me being me. Uh, on behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, thank you for downloading, listening to the show. If you want to do us a favor and uh, you know do us a real solid, you can uh, do us a, a big favor by leaving a, a rating review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download and listen to the show. We would uh, obviously greatly appreciate that. And that is it. Enjoy the race uh, this weekend. We will be back on Sunday night. And until then, enjoy the race. We'll see you Sunday. Take care. Bye for now.